When she announced her candidacy for mayor of St. Louis in January 2020, Kara Spencer thought she would be running a traditional campaign and that one of her opponents would be the incumbent. Neither of those things are true anymore, but Spencer says that hasn't changed her plan to help St. Louis tap into the potential she sees. The 20th Ward Alderwoman joins me next on Politically Speaking to talk about that plan, how she would improve St. Louis Lambert International Airport, and how her aldermanic races prepared her to win citywide. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Rachel Lippman. Joining me on the podcast today is... Kara Spencer. Kara is currently the alderwoman for the 20th Ward. That's in South St. Louis. And she's one of four candidates in the March primary for the mayor of the city. We've reached out to all of the candidates and invited them to appear. Kara was the first to set a date. You'll be able to find her episode and those that we tape in the future with the remaining candidates on our website. And uh, Kara, I know you've been on this podcast before, but for those who may have not caught the first time you were on the show, um, if I remember correctly, you have a background that is a little bit different than what you might find in a, a quote, typical politician. That's right. Uh, I... I don't have, you know, sort of the typical political background. Um, I studied mathematics uh, at Truman State University. Following that, um, I became a mathematical modeler, and I worked for companies across the globe, um, helping them make smart decisions for their bottom lines. Um, And uh, after that, uh, you know, when I decided to run for office, um, I have also served as the executive director of a nonprofit, uh, which advocates for the best interests of consumers against corporate profits. Um, And so that's been my trajectory and my uh, uh, personal sort of uh, history with uh, my career. What made you decide to seek not only just a a ward level, you know, very local level, but a, a citywide office? Why make that jump? Sure. Well, you know, I mean, I have to say, uh, my decision to get in public service was kind of an unusual one. Um, it was, I guess, 2014, 15. Uh, I was living a normal life, if you will, a single mom with a normal job. Um, and uh, as you know, I'm down here on the South side. And it was that year that the only free public pool here uh, on the South side of our city closed, um, you know, by the city and there was no plan to reopen it. So it was, it was really that issue um, that, really propelled me to want to seek public office. Uh, and, um, you know, so I ran for alderman in 2015. Um, and uh, with uh, getting, get, once I got elected, uh, worked very hard to get that pool up and running um, before summer hit. But you asked why I decided to run for mayor. Um, you know, I see our city uh, having just an endless amount of potential. I love St. Louis. I believe in us. But we aren't going to solve our problems uh, by just wanting to. Uh, we need a mayor who's going to do the real hard work of leading, uh, working with 
dogged determination and optimism, sometimes stubborn optimism in the face of many challenges that we have here in the city of St. Louis. And so I decided to run for the top seat, so to speak, uh, to help lead our community in a new direction. You have been running for this office declared uh, about a year ago, I think, actually on uh, St. Louis on the air that this was an office you were going to seek. Why was it important to get into the race so, so early uh, to, to make that intention known, you know, back almost a year ago now? Well, you know, a year ago, Rachel, the world was a completely different place. <laughs> um, you know, we had an incumbent mayor who was uh who had made public her intentions to run and to continue to seek that position. Uh, and given, um, you know, kind of uh, the typical path of an incumbent having uh, a reelection in our community, um, I thought, you know, I would need to spend a year uh, really raising, you know, my profile, getting my name out there, meeting people, talking to voters. Uh, and really campaigning over the summer. Of course, COVID hit and the world changed. And so, and the campaign had to adapt and we had to really focus, I had to focus in my role as an alderman and chair of the Health and Human Services Committee on serving uh, in my current position. And so, and not only that, but it made reaching out and campaigning very, very difficult, uh, wanting to really keep folks safe. So that really changed um, the course of the campaign, uh, but I did, I did, seek out and make public my intention to run very early with the intention of just, you know, spending that last year getting out and talking to voters. And obviously, we do not have an incumbent running now. Mayor Krusen decided not to seek the second term. Um, how did that change your calculus at all in terms of, of, you know, conducting the campaign? Or did it, you know, make that decision to get in so early look like a better one, a different one? Um, how did that change the, the world and the campaign? Well, uh, certainly it changed, um, you know, I think, uh, kind of the message. Uh, but I have always centered my decision to run uh, my intentions to be in public service around policies and what I plan to do in office. And those things haven't changed, you know, uh, kicking out sort of the special interests, uh, fighting for the public good, uh, fighting for the everyday citizen of St. Louis um, has been at the crux of my decision making in my current role. And it is uh, at the crux of my the heart of the decision to run for mayor. Those things haven't changed. So uh, for me, uh, the fact that we don't have an incumbent changes the dialogue amongst the candidates, certainly, um, but it hasn't changed who I am and what I plan to do if elected as our city's next mayor. And so what is one of the key issues that you will focus on in, in this race? What is, what is kind of the, the defining features of your platform? Sure. Well, I think, you know, right off the bat, we're going to have a to get our budget under control. Uh, this is going to be a budget that's going to be devastated by COVID. We're going to have to roll out a comprehensive uh, plan to get the vaccines in the hands of the folks who need it most. Uh, and we're going to have to start to very effectively deal with crime. Um, you know, I am the only candidate that I'm aware of that has a real constructive, uh, comprehensive plan for dealing with crime right off the bat. 
And if we don't get our violence under control here in St. Louis, frankly, nothing else matters. Um, we're losing population. We're unable to attract new residents or businesses um, because of some of those structural issues uh, uh, impacting um, our the violence in our community. And so right off the bat, we're gonna go to work uh, putting into place uh, the 10 point crime plan that I announced last week. Um, and then I'm committed uh, to uh, implementing uh, on day one. Let's let's talk about the budget first. Um, it, the city was was in a decent place kind of going into COVID. I think that kind of helped cushion the impact a little bit, but you're not going to have, you know, a Blues championship run or a Cardinals championship run to kind of pad that budget. Um, how bad is it going to look for the next mayor? And where do you sort of start addressing some of those issues? Well, Rachel, we made up some ground in the last uh, year or two with regards to the budget, but let's face it, our budget was not in good shape going into COVID. Over the last 10 years of economic expansion that we've seen nationally, the city of St. Louis, the St. Louis region has failed to capitalize on that growth. In fact, our region has only performed at about a quarter of the national average during those last 10 years of economic expansion. Uh, and while we made up a little bit of ground there at the end and you started to see us tick up, we really have not positioned ourselves over the last decade uh, to withstand a major blow to our budget like COVID. Um, and so when COVID came along um, and uh, you know kept we, we had to put folks at home, it devastated not only our small businesses, but our city's ability to collect the revenue that we need to provide those city services. Um, I keep in very regular, uh, communication with our budget director uh, to, to make sure that I am uh, aware of where we are. Of course, there's a lot of unknowns still before us. We don't know uh, at the end of the day uh, what we have as far as sales tax and other things that go through other jurisdictions like the state of Missouri before they get to us. Um, but it is going to have a major, major impact. We know our hotel sales or hotel tax or sales tax other revenue streams, even our uh, property tax um, is down for the year. And this is gonna have a major impact in our ability to serve our citizens moving forward through these next couple of years. So so what do you do first? Um, you know, is it that you start from zero, kind of redo things? Do you just kind of do a, you know, hold steady budget? Um, how do you tackle that big of a problem as mayor when the authority to kind of do the budget is is split among so many different entities? You're right. Um, City of St. Louis is unusual in that we uh, have uh, not only the board of ENA uh, that really approves the budget, but we also have some siloing of income uh, through some of our county offices, uh, the recorder of deeds office, the treasurer's office, parking, et cetera. These things are siloed in a way that's very unusual uh, for a city and how we operate. So um, I think first and foremost is really getting the numbers under control and having a good handle of what our actual revenue looks like. Once we get through that, uh, we have been operating our budget on an annual basis on a sort of, as we did last year, make some minimal changes, uh, argue at the margins and move forward. We're gonna have to really re-envision how we provide services to our citizens. We are very archaic in many of the systems we use. Um, you know, when I launched my campaign, I joked I'd throw the typewriters out of City Hall, but the reality is we have actual typewriters 
filling very vital roles uh, of city government. When I filed to run for mayor, uh, I filled out several forms on carbon paper. So the reality is we have some uh, very, uh, not only uh, old systems in place, but they're very inefficient. So we're going to have to come in and do some ROI analyses on the departments, some of which perform very well. For example, the building division, every dollar we put into that department, the city gets a dollar and seven cents back. So there are investments that make sense. We need to make sure that we're not cutting those budgets. That can really help return uh, on those uh, revenue investments and ensure that at the end of the day, uh, we are being smart about what we, how we are allocating the funds that we do have. And that's gonna take a real uh, understanding of how we deliver city services. Uh, I'm lucky to have served as an alderman for as long as I have to really understand what our constituents need, uh, the departments, who runs them, how they operate. Uh, and my service in the Ways and Means Committee really digging into the budget over the last couple of years uh, will be instrumental in helping make sure that we do that. We understand that process uh, moving through these next couple of years. How do you position the city to be in a, a better space once, you know, the world, the community, et cetera, gets through COVID and there is the opportunity to to grow and to, to kind of to, uh, get on to take advantage of national economic growth in a way that it hadn't in the past? Sure. Not just economic, uh, national economic growth, but we're going to see the movement of tens of millions of Americans over the next decade. Uh, you know, post COVID, I think you're gonna see a professional class that's no longer tethered to their office space looking for cities with a low cost of living and high amenities, just like St. Louis to relocate to. Um, following that, you're gonna see climate migration uh, and that is projected to see the movement of tens of millions of Americans away from coastal cities. And what better place to relocate than smack in the middle of the nation on our largest, mightiest river uh, and uh, you know an endless source of fresh flowing water. So uh, in order to position ourselves, we have to address some of the real structural issues within our city that not only make living here less than ideal, but also impact uh, the national reputation that we have. And I'm talking about crime, racial segregation, uh, racial disparities, and poverty. Uh, and we have to get serious about addressing those issues and we have to hit them head on. Um, and uh, I plan to do just that. How do you get at crime? Um, you know, that you've, you mentioned that a couple of times as being one of the, the big issues that, that holds the city of St. Louis back. Tell me a little bit about how you're going to get at that issue. Sure. Um, you know, crime, particularly violence, like so many things, disproportionately impacts communities of color. Addressing violence is going to have to be uh, a top number one priority of the next mayor. We and you know that's why I came up with and um, you know released uh, a ten point comprehensive data-driven strategy for dealing with crime. Um, you know, the first thing we're gonna do is by implementing a strategy called Focus Deterrence. Uh, this is a program that has worked uh, throughout the United States. Most recently, it helped Oakland drop its homicide rate by 50% in just six years. And I'm confident that bringing it here, working with those folks in Oakland and other cities, uh, we can significantly reduce violence here. We have to root um, our public safety program in trust. 
Right now, uh, many communities don't trust the police department. So uh, they are not providing our law enforcement agency with the very vital information that we need to solve the violence that is besieging our neighborhoods. So uh, we've got to first start by building trust. And that means answering every single 911 call that comes in. We know we are doing an abysmal job doing that right now. 25% at least of all 911 calls are being answered by a recording. So we're gonna get that under, we're gonna whip that into shape and make sure that anybody who's engaging with our emergency response system uh, is talking to an individual and getting the help they need. And uh, we are going to uh, make sure that um, we have tools in place to be able to to better serve those marginalized communities. I'm talking about putting in social workers and other folks that can redirect some of the services uh, that our community relies on to build up public safety. There's talk a lot about the root causes of crime. You've even, you know, mentioned a couple of them in your plan and, and it's a, you know, a central part of the discussion. That's a long-term solution to getting it crime down over the long term. How do you address mm -hmm. the immediate issue of violent crime, of homicides, assaults, et cetera, the, yep. the immediate need there to just sort of calm the city down, to settle it down? Yep. Immediately, right off the bat, those three things. Uh, we are going to have to reorganize our police department. Uh, where there's a lot of inefficiencies and, and uh, deficiencies. Uh, Eliminate, we're going to have to eliminate the redundancies within the police department. This is something that was pointed out pretty pointedly by the Civic Progress Commission Teneo study that was released just a couple of weeks ago. Reorganizing our police department will result in uh, a lot of additional uh, officer resources to engage in uh, investigating violent crime and proactive community policing. We are uh, currently do not have a strategy or a policy for communicating within our police department. This means that we have no formal way of sharing intelligence within our department, no formal way of sharing intelligence between departments, uh, and no formal way of communicating with the general public. This means that the information that our officers uh, need, our intelligence departments need, is not formally uh, shared. It is reliant upon personal relationships within the department, this is wildly ineffective and very inefficient. So right off the bat, we're gonna put in place some policies that are going to result in the proper and efficient sharing of data. We are gonna reorganize in the police department to be much more effective, re eliminating redundancies. We're gonna bring in focused deterrence, that program that can help right off the bat to focus on the individuals most at risk for engaging in very violent crime. And we're gonna help, uh, we're, that, that's gonna help start to bring that violence down immediately. What role should technology, such as a surveillance plane that is in discussion among aldermen and the mayor or cameras, the real-time intelligence center, what's the role of that in, in crime fighting in your plan? You know, that is uh, an important question, Rachel, especially as we're considering putting a spy plane in the air uh, as we speak. Um, you know, the one other remarkable thing that came out of that Civic Progress Teneo report is that we don't have an overall department-wide strategy for dealing with violent crime. It seems crazy, but we do not. That is an enormous deficit. Without having a strategy for dealing with violence, deciding on whether or not we're going to put a spy plane in the in in the air. It's just sort of an ad hoc, uh, you know, 
uh, approach. We, we, whether or not we need more surveillance is something that we need to take a look at more holistically. But first and foremost, if we're going to engage in collecting data about our citizens, we need to be proactive uh, about protecting the civil liberties of the communities that uh, we are we are contemplating surveilling. Uh, so I am a proponent of, of putting in place some protections of basic civil liberties before even contemplating additional surveillance measures. And we'll be right back after this quick break. And we are back on Politically Speaking. I'm Rachel Lipman, joined by 20th Ward Alderwoman and candidate for mayor, Kara Spencer. And uh, Kara, listeners to St. Louis Public Radio and probably to other media in the St. Louis area will know your name likely from your efforts against privatizing St. Louis Lambert International Airport. Um, is there any circumstance under which you might consider leasing the airport to an operator, changing how that airport is is structured? Well, I can tell you right off the bat that we are going to have to take a look at what's next for, for Lambert. That's going to be a key piece of moving our broader region forward. Uh, you may have seen in the news recently that uh, Mid-America, the other international airport that serves our region, is uh, considering expanding, um, taking on some Boeing property. That's a good thing. Uh, both of our airports have performed very well through COVID, uh, and that is a testament to the leadership out there. Um, I am very much in favor of and uh, look forward to uh, it taking, taking a look at the next phase for uh, our air travel. This needs to be grounded in a couple different things, Rachel. One, uh, an overall economic strategy for our community, a strategy rooted in growth. We are positioned uh, quite uh, perfectly here in the middle of the nation to capitalize on really a logistical uh, set of assets that we have here between our air travel, the cargo traffic uh, that we have on our river. We are the second largest inland port in the nation, the most efficient, by the way, port in the nation. Uh, and we have a whole lot of other transportation assets here in St. Louis and in Missouri in general. And the airport discussion needs to be rooted in being a part of that infrastructure. Secondly, it has to be really rooted in a, in a regional uh, plan. And so I do think it's important that to recognize that Lambert serves the region, and it is the largest airport in the state of Missouri. So those stakeholders need to be at the table, not only in the decision making, uh, but in, um, in really to <laughs> help uh, to make sure that if there is a lease of some kind that the current owner, uh, the city of St. Louis, is compensated to the utmost ability. Um, one of the things really missing from the last investigation of privatizing the airport was, we didn't do a valuation of the asset, Rachel. Uh, we didn't do a, a risk assessment. So these are critical key pieces to considering uh, how a public agency is going to potentially lease or sell the leasehold interests of a public asset. You mentioned kind of uh, Lambert and and cargo and access and the port and everything as part of a regional plan, getting everyone at the table. And, and regionalism and having everyone there has been part of a conversation about development, about COVID, about, you know, everything that is key to this region. How do you get everyone 
who may have vastly different views about how things should be handled to the table and rowing in the same direction. Look, that is going to be a key piece of leading us through this is uh, being able to sit down with folks with whom we don't necessarily always agree. We have engaged the city of St. Louis uh, in an economic development strategy that has not been exclusively, but has been focused pretty significantly on uh, privatizing our airport. And we have not engaged the rest of the region. We cannot possibly turn around and ask the region to help us with some of the issues like homelessness, crime, poverty, and things that are disproportionately impacting the city if when it comes to our biggest asset, we are not engaging with the rest of the community. So, you know, it has to be rooted in a regional solution here, or we're never going to grow uh, as a broader community. And our failure to grow is a major contributing factor to growing poverty. Uh, when the region fails to grow, and it has for the last four decades, we have a pretty stagnant population of about 2.6, 2.8 million people. It means every house that's built in Winsville is a vacancy somewhere else in the region. And that's either the city of St. Louis or St. Louis County. And this zero sum game is a problem uh, for all of us because we are failing to, to grow like the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the nation is. So uh, you ask how we can get everybody rowing in the same direction. When we are rooted in success for the broader region, we can find overlapping values and over, an overlapping set of desired outcomes that can at least put us rowing in the same direction on some issues. And it's important that we're able to put our political differences aside to get in line with a growth strategy that can bring our region out of stagnation. That's something you hear from citywide region candidates every time they're running. We want to, you know, there needs to be more regional cooperation. How do you even get to that point of, you know, being able to sit down and find the desired outcomes and the values that we all share. What's, how is your approach going to be different to, to make that, that statement successful? Well, look, um, Rachel, uh, through the process of airport privatization, I was regularly meeting with, uh, uh, you know, St. Charles County, County Executive Steve Ailman, uh, uh, Sam Page, the regional municipal leaders, um, I sat down and joined the executive board of the St. Louis Municipal League, the organization of municipal governments um, in St. Louis. And I'm the first member of that board of directors from the largest community, the city of St. Louis, in 100 years. And I'm very proud of that uh, because my service there has enabled me to build relationships with some of the municipal government leaders uh, in our community. And I relied on those uh, to really help uh, share information about what the city was considering um, and with regards to the airport. And it's those relationships. And while I don't agree with the municipal, you know, the municipal mayors on everything, certainly uh, being present is the first step uh, and building those relationships and that, that communication is a key component here. Um, and while many of our regional leaders have talked about that, um, uh, I have actually taken concrete constructive steps to do just that. In the city of St. Louis, a strategy to grow there, there's been a lot of talk about incentives lately and how that impacts the bottom line, especially for the schools. Um, in your mind, where should incentives like tax increment financing or tax abatement be used as part of a, you know, a growth strategy for the city and for the region? What's their role in that? 
Sure. Um, you know, I'm not against tax abatements in the right circumstances or even TIFs. Um, they can help bridge the gap between what it costs to develop and what it may be of value. Uh, but the role that they play has been uh, historically in St. Louis, a reactionary one. So our, our real approach to development in a general sense is a reactionary one. In other words, the developers come to the city with a project and we either yes or no it. Uh, we need to reorient that, orient that into a proactive approach in, in that the city of St. Louis is identifying what our communities need, where they need them. We need a grocery store here. We know we need development. Uh, we need access to food in North St. Louis. Uh, so issuing out an RFP to collect the developers and to funnel them and to focus them into projects that we have identified that our community needs. And those tax incentives should be designed by the city to meet the needs of the community rather than meeting the needs of the developers. The census is likely to show a drop in population across the city, but likely focused in the North St. Louis wards. Um, how do you stabilize that population loss, which then enables or puts the city in a position to potentially grow in the future? Yes, I mean, it, I, we're all holding our breath. Um, I think that those numbers are going to be released imminently. Um, and, um, you know, I am worried that our numbers are going to be below 300,000. I think uh, that is something we're all concerned about. Um, and you're right, Rachel, uh, we're seeing a lot of population loss on, in North St. Louis. What do we do about that? I think first and foremost, we need to hold landholders accountable for letting their properties continue to decay. Now, the city of St. Louis is a responsible party uh, on some of that, but we have a lot of uh, outside landholders that are parking their assets here in St. Louis, parking their financial assets and letting properties decay, like Paul McKee, taking a look at the wide swaths of property that developer continues to hold and allows to decay. Who wants to live on a block that has several uh, decaying properties on them? No one. And that is why you're seeing people give up and leave. So holding landholders accountable for basic building code violations is a key component and really supporting some of the really good development like you're seeing uh, in North St. Louis through Pastor uh, Andre Alexander of Tabernacle Church, uh, just north of Fairground Park, that project that went through. Kwame Building Group is also doing a really uh, uh, transformative project uh, in the city district. Um, you know, these are mixed use projects uh, for which we should, uh, you know, get behind, support, uh, and uh, promote the, you know, for other folks to become engaged in do, doing similar projects. But we've got to address the violence in our neighborhoods as a key component to redeveloping North St. Louis. The next mayor will oversee, sign the redistrict, the new uh, ward maps, and and whether it's twenty eight wards or fourteen, that's still somewhat of an open question at this point. What do you want to see in in those maps, um, and and how would you kind of go about in your your role as mayor is ensuring you get that in those maps? Sure, I think first and foremost, we need citizen-led redistricting. We need a commission to take a look at and take the politics out of the map drawing process. Gerrymandering isn't just an issue on the state and federal level, it's an issue here too. Um, and I think we need to take the redistricting out of the 
hands of the president of the board and put it in the hands of a citizen-led redistricting commission. So um, I think that is the key to making sure that the ward boundaries are done in the best interest, not of those uh, currently holding elected office, but in uh, the best interest of the citizens who put us there. This is the first election under the new approval voting Proposition D, where it's a you know primary all out. You can vote for as many candidates as you want there, and then they adva- the top two advance to a runoff in in April. Um, how has that did that change your your strategy in terms of approaching this election? Um, when you initially thought you know I just have to get through March and and I'm kind of basically in the clear. You know, it, you know, it really hasn't, Rachel. I mean, I think yeah, I've always been a very policy focused, policy oriented elected official. Uh, and I think building alliances is a key component to getting things done. And that's where Prop D, I think, really promotes those ideas. It's almost an ideal voting mechanism for uh, somebody like me in that, um, you know, you find your uh, the issues on which you agree and you agree on those and, and you build consensus and you can agree to disagree on other issues. So I think Prop D is going to allow the general public to really become, to be more policy oriented in this election cycle and hopefully get away from some of the more personality-based politics that we've seen in the past. And we've seen that bear out in some of the forums already. And I'm, I'm very uh, hopeful about that. I'm wondering, too, um, you're an individual who's found success. The, the word that you represent is majority non-white, and you were able to get elected there as a white woman uh, at least twice, beat out an entrenched incumbent the first time. And I'm wondering, does that kind of play into what's required for, for Proposition D in, in terms of, like, building and finding um, your community, your alliances that can get you into into a position? Sure. I mean, I mean, I think the reality is you don't agree with everybody on everything. Um, but finding those areas and those issues uh, that you agree on is a key to getting things done. You know, um, you know, we have too many folks that are willing to burn bridges over single issues, um, and it's really no way to govern. So, you know, uh, for me, uh, I think that, you know, representing a district that doesn't exactly look like me um, has meant a lot of listening and a lot of really um, service. And that's what our government is there to do, is to listen, to reflect, um, to help lead in times uh, when we need leadership, um, but to really serve the needs of the community that uh, pays our wages, pays our salary, and um, puts us in office. For all of our stories, you can go to stlpublicradio.org. I'm on Twitter at rlipman. That's two P's and two N's. Kara, where can people find you and uh, your campaign in the various spaces on the World Wide Web? Sure. You can find uh, uh, more about my crime plan and my other policy platform planks on my website, karaspencerformayor.com. That's spelled with a C and the number four. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and uh, of course, our email and other ways of communication are on there as well. Until next time, so long.